The views and opinions shared by they might be toxic hosts, guests, or sponsors are those of each contributor and do not necessarily express the official view of the brand. We are not doctors, and this podcast should not be mistaken for therapy. Nothing expressed in this content is intended to malign or harm any party or person. We are simply here to discuss and dissect our toxic relationships and to learn about yours. Welcome to the podcast. This week on the podcast, Jahan Satur of the Boundless Authenticity podcast joins me to talk about managing the body and nervous system when healing trauma. Jahan is a self-sabotage and mindfulness coach, and you can find his information in the show notes. You and I are both spiritual people, so I'm sure, like, honestly, that was part of what I wanted to bring up. Like, I hit this wall where, like, I don't know if you've been through this, but you're, obviously, you coach people, and maybe you're coaching people have been through this. I literally hit a wall where I was like, okay, I've done A Course in Miracles. I've read Dr. Hawkins for three years. I've been into spiritual books for, you know, 20 some years. I could not spirituality my way out of the trauma response. Exactly. You can't, you can't. Uh, Spirituality is kind of like over here and that's in your, not okay. How I would describe it is you have like your rational mind over here. You have your emotional mind over here and spirituality is kind of like in the middle, you know, it's wisdom, but there's got to be a pathway of application of certain things to reach wisdom every time. Otherwise you miss the boat. So I feel like, and I've been through that myself, um, just in learning and trying to grow and mature and strength of character and you know, strengthen my values and all these different things. I've learned that there's certain things you kind of have to put down and you have to really get involved in the body aspect of things. You really have to sit and feel everything for yourself. You have to learn how to speak to yourself. And the more you practice that, you know, as we know in neuroscience is proven that it strengthens those pathways. So things don't right. bother you as much. But the problem mm-hmm. with that as well is that, you know, there's a loophole. There's a loophole to everything. So there will be things in life that you didn't even know that you had an expectation until you reached that situation. So mm-hmm. how, there's there's a lot of misconceptions out there and, and false information where people tell you simplistic truisms like, uh, the only thing that causes disappointment is your expectations. Well, you don't always know. You don't always know when trauma is going to come up out of the subconscious realm to hit you in the face. Yeah. So it becomes about uh, the mission is about educating people on what trauma really is, what being triggered really is, what toxic really is, and how to appropriately deal with those things in everyday life. Because I find like the spiritual thing and the psychology thing. Um, it kind of talks at people and it's not necessarily on purpose either. It's because it's a one-way channel on social media. It's a one-way channel on YouTube and things like that. It's a one-way channel on Gaia or whatever it is. And, uh, and I deeply love my spirituality and I deeply understand how forgiveness can transform, you know, even the past. And I know I've done a lot of reframing of my past, but definitely I think without that understanding of the nervous system, I was absolutely hitting a wall and noticing that I was triggering around things where I was like, man, I really thought I did the work on that. Like, why, you know, why is this thing still kind of coming up? And I think the other thing that's so uncomfortable about any kind of healing work is that it ends up being a full-time job of what did, I, what is my role? And, you know, you have to stop. Yes, people might be doing things on the outside, but you still have to look at how you're reacting and notice it in real time. That's, you know, that's the bigger challenge is noticing it in real time and going, 
I don't have to claw right now. Yeah. 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 That's, that's where the, you know, the spirituality and everything else kind of coexists in that space. I think that's really the meaning behind um, don't react, respond, but there's things that we all have to learn how to do and we have to continue being humble and open and willing to learn every day, you know? Yeah, it's definitely absolutely a thousand percent an everyday job. <laughs> and I know we we were going to talk about the pandemic. I sort of feel like, you know, I remember the jokes at the beginning of the pandemic. And of course, there were lots of jokes at the beginning. You know, we it's like we've all been sent to our rooms to think about what we did. But now that we've been in our rooms for, you know, <laughs> what has it been three, three years, however long, it's been crazy long. Um, they're really, you know there's so much room for self-reflection and I guess maybe some people aren't doing it, but it's almost like, you know, it was a joke I made the other day. It's like, you go in your kitchen with the mixer and you just like hold it in the air and there's like stuff everywhere. And eventually you have to be like, Oh man, I made this mess. <laughs> like cake batter everywhere. <laughs> and what I, what I realized about this whole thing is that more than ever, people have found new ways of doing the same old things even if they were sent to their room. A lot of us, like it is the really uh, super spiritual, super, um, I don't want to use the word mature, but maybe that's the best one. I, when I say mature, I mean emotionally and, and mentally. A lot of us weren't phased by the fact that there were lockdowns and things like that. And then there were others who really were. And it's kind of like, this is the reward that we get for allowing toxic behavior to be the thing that runs the world. You know what I mean? Like the entire world seems to be run by a narcissistic culture. And so that was what got me into um, doing my series of posts, narcissism, the real pandemic, you know? Yeah. It's been fascinating. I mean, yeah, definitely. There's the, there's the aspect of all of us being kind of locked in our own bubble there's the cultural aspect of it. And then, you know, there's that other awkward shift that is happening. And we all knew that this was going to happen. As soon as technology became available to everybody, everybody would have an equal opportunity at a job, right? Like the, you know, the, I mean, even things like edX, right? Like you can go take Harvard level courses for free. If you are committed, I mean, you can even go to the library and get, you know, the entire, you know, Linda, you, Linda library for free and you can learn how to program and you can learn how to build website. I mean, you could have a six figure job by investing just time. And that never, ever used to be the case. Yeah. Poor people can get rich without going to college. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And in some ways it's also crazy too. <laughs> it's definitely leveled the playing field and in a really fascinating way, because I think, you know, there's a lot of anger floating around, but I, I got really lucky. I, I mean, you know, obviously talk about some of my childhood stuff and some of my other episodes, but at the same time, my parent, you know, my parents were not always toxic. My dad's rage was usually situational. Um, but I was definitely raised by feminists and in, you know, I was born in 1976, right? So like during the rise of feminism and when feminism wasn't seen as something negative and my dad definitely raised us as 
you know, not that we needed to go be firefighters and football players, but definitely that like my daughters are smart. My daughters can do anything. He taught us how to use tools and how to check the oil on our car and, you know, also how to be, you know, both feminine and masculine and to for us to be allowed to choose whoever we wanted to be. Right. And I was definitely a tomboy for probably the first like nine to 10 years of my life. And I would always get mistaken for a boy and not intentionally. Right. And I would always get really mad and I would always be really offended. Um, and it was kind of cute because I remember when I first moved into this neighborhood in Texas, these little kids came to the door and they they said, can your little boy come out? And then my siblings nicknamed me Mario because my name's Maria. And yeah. so, you know, for the next you know decade of my life, I was nicknamed Mario until I started looking like a female. But it's just really funny, like to watch feminism start as something positive, as in women just wanting an equal shot. And now it seems like it's kind of become demonized as in women want to take something away from men. And like, I personally haven't seen any women like knocking on any men's doors and like, you know, stealing their business licenses or, you know, you know, stealing. I, I just, I don't understand the taking away, I guess. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually don't have anything to add to that except for there's nothing wrong with embracing both masculine and feminine energy. It, it's individualism. It, you either can do it or you can't. There's certain, when I say that, there's certain things that are masculine. Maybe a, a woman really can't bring herself to do it. That, that's her prerogative. You know, if she tries, that's even better. But, you know, that's personal choice, you know? And, and we definitely both all have masculine and feminine qualities. It's, you know, the masculine yeah. is kind of the left brain of like the, doing and the planning and the feminine is kind of the creative and the emotional. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we forget that, like, you know, if you look at dogs and cats and, you know, other species that have, that have, you know, two sexes, they're pretty similar, but they all, there's also a very masculine and a very feminine, right. It's like, you know, if you watch birds and you watch the male, you know, do the dance and puff out his chest there are things that are natural for, for males and females to do. And instead of, I think instead of like embracing that and enjoying that about each other, we've gotten to this place where we're like, everybody hates each other and men are the enemy and women are yeah. the enemy. And it's Let so me like, jump in here. Let oh, me jump yes, in here please and, do. <laughs> and, and say, you know, and a lot of like, we were mentioning a certain psychologist that we both are not very satisfied with <laughs> Uh, you know, things that he says, a common animal that's used is the lion. And a lot of that's used in this toxic influencer culture, you know, lion up. And then they use that as an excuse to treat their women like nonsense. They forget that women in the lion culture, it's the, it's the female that hunts and provides. And also <laughs> look at a lion go watch discovery channel and really study lions look at how that lion treats the lioness it's mm -hmm. absolutely nurturing at the right times you know it understands when to be a particular characteristic i don't see any of these men doing that you know <laughs> it's yeah it's uncomfortable that it's it seems to have turned into like a blame battle instead of a let's both sides take responsibility because I don't want to pretend like there aren't toxic women. 
there absolutely are toxic women. And definitely when I wrote both of my books, I made sure that I wasn't, I didn't want them to be about men or women. Um, one of the things that I learned in the, uh, the trauma course that I was telling you about is that, um, a lot of people, and you, you probably know this even just from being a coach, when someone reaches out to another person for help, whether it's coaching or therapy or whatever, they don't usually do it because they're at a five, right? Like they do it because they're like an 11 and they've been an 11 for like six months and they, you know, they're barely functioning. And one of the things that they talked about is some people can take up to six times to show up to a therapy appointment. People will cancel from home, from the parking lot, from the lobby, from the bathroom, because especially when you're reaching out to someone for help, whoever you're reaching out to, you already see them as an authority figure, even if they're not, even if they're just another human being who has struggled through equally. And so we all have those triggers around, you know, you know, authoritarian, whatever that is, whether it's a parent or someone in school or, you know, there's some kind of thing that happened when we grew up around authority and we all have those triggers. And I think that sometimes even just forgetting as a female, right? Like if I raise my voice to a really high pitch, even if it's just because I'm excited over joyfulness or happiness, the actual pitch of my voice can be triggering. Yeah. Or certain yeah. body language, you know, like when I read Oprah's book, have you read Oprah's book? Uh, what happened to you? No. Oh man. Is definitely the first time I learned about regulation, but I have fairly heavy PTSD. And when I say heavy, I mean, not just like really bad childhood PTSD, also a bunch of little things that happen in adulthood, like four car accidents, four house break-ins, which like, I really minimize it when I say it, right? But like, you totally forget that like sometimes just having someone come up to you in traffic or having someone, you know, stand behind you or wear a certain cologne, all of a sudden, like your skin is crawling and your body is having a reaction and you're your nervous system is throwing it at you and you don't even know why. Yeah. That's, that's what happens to a lot of people. And, um, you know, it's tough navigating in the position as a coach because you want to, um, you want to manage your, I guess your dialogue and you want to make sure your tone of voice and everything is very soothing at times and authoritative doesn't ever really mean you having to yell or raise your voice or anything like that there's just like i guess if i break it into the, the hypnotherapy thing it's up trance and down trance right now i'm in down trance so the listeners will receive me as very relaxed and calming and they might be drifting off or something hopefully they're not falling asleep but if i start speaking like this and i go into things and i speak a little bit more um assertively and a little bit faster that's up trance right so you kind of have to learn your clients. And one of the things that I always do is I try to let them know that they're, they're, you're not my family. You know, I'm taking you in on board, like you're a part of me because I care about people. And there's a lot of people out there that just can't be bothered to do that. You know, they, a lot, what I've learned is that there's a lot of people out there that are very unskillful. They have not yet done the healing. And so when somebody's coming with trauma, you can be guaranteed that it's trauma. You can be guaranteed that there's some form of PTSD underlying there because guess what? We all have imperfect lives and we all come up through the ranks learning some things. And um, it's not for anybody to say what isn't PTSD, but it's certainly not because mommy dropped you on the head when you were five and she was making cookies. And now every time you smell cookies, 
that's you know she she was trying to do other things around the house she tripped over one of your toys you fell you hit your head <laughs> get over yeah. it you know yeah and there's a lot of people out there that kind of ruin it with that attitude as well but real ptsd is a serious thing um you know, people will slip and fall on a banana peel and get, assign themselves those things and then when they're out in the everyday and they expect people to take them seriously when something really bad happens they don't get received like that and that's everybody's responsibility as well too because we all have to be adults about certain things but a lot of the things that i come across are real serious issues and a lot of it's rape uh quite recently it had to deal with a human trafficking thing and it turned out to be her sexual trauma is extremely high yeah, it was her neighbors that shipped her off to like Guyana or somewhere like that. Wow. And her and and her parents don't believe her to this day. She's a 40-year-old woman. Her parents don't that's believe so her sad. to this day that it happened. And that's and a re-traumatization continue. of not exactly. being believed. Exactly. And they continue to gaslight her and treat her like she's less of a person because of it. That's so, so sad. Yeah, it's it, it's a lot of darker things that we think is only reserved for the television, you know? Yeah. I mean, I my my sexual trauma that I went through as a very young child is h- horrific and I won't talk about it right now, but the really shocking thing, you know, you brought up um you know being regulated as you're receiving, you know, as you're being the coach, right? Like as you're like kind of on the receiving end. Um and what's fascinating is, you know, of course you know about mirror neurons and so do psychologists, right? But a lot of psychologists forget to self-regulate. And so when you come in dysregulated, they don't know how to do what you just did, right? Where you lower your voice and you help the person become calm or you even ask them, you know, like, do you want to take a second to take a breath right now? And so even saying something like that, some people feel yeah. so like you're being condescending, like you're telling them to go take a walk or, you know, I remember my dad always used to tell us, go wash your face off with cold water. And it's so funny because now that I've learned about, especially about nervous system regulation, cold water therapy, even splashing your face with cold water is an excellent way to regulate the nervous system. And probably back in the day, you know, those were the three things that they would tell you, like, go take a walk, you know, go, you know, and, and those things are actually great for nervous system regulation. So it's kind of funny that, you know, and especially it just sounds minimizing when you are literally just trying to be present with someone. Yeah. You know, a trauma in reality is just something that's really big that your body remembers and you actually, you need to be able to, Bring yourself to a point in your awareness where you can actively process that. It takes time. It's not a one-day solution. And I think where people get lost is when they come, they want to deal with that all in one day. They, they want to deal yes. with it in 12 weeks even. It's like 12 weeks is a short period of time for something like rape, human trafficking, getting shot, getting blown up. You know, I've had um, veterans and stuff you know, every time a muffler backfires, <laughs> you know, it sounds funny. It sounds like something off the TV, but it's, it's really happening. You know, people, the most common one, actually, Maria, and you're going to love this, is being married to a verbally, sexually, or physically abusive partner for years. That's one of the biggest ones. That doesn't In surprise me at all. And and females, even playing there is is what I've found. So, you know, it's like... Trauma is like, have you ever seen 
the people in Nairobi who they spend their entire day looking for plastic bottles just to trade in so they can get $1.10 so that they can just get something to drink or get glue that they can sniff so that they can make it till tomorrow. You know, uh, that's real trauma. That's what it feels like for everybody, regardless. You know, oh, so my chicken just jumped up on the desk. Come here, Ruby. That's hilarious. Well, and I think sometimes the other thing, you know, it's people okay, forget Ruby. that, um, you know, things like long-term poverty, oh, how cute, or even, you know, believing that you're in some type of danger can traumatize the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's the interesting thing about uh, definitely in my learning, what I have discovered is that there is no one thing, there is no one formula, and it's very rare for it to be essentially what happens is most people who have been in healthy environments are going to be pretty easily regulated and having one big event isn't going to dysregulate them forever. They're going to bounce back pretty quickly. They probably have family and friends. They might not need therapy, but if you've been through, you know, like I said, you know, joking about my four and four, right. But like, if you started, and obviously one of the things I love to discuss is the, uh, the childhood, what's it, the ACE adverse childhood, um, I can't remember what the acronym is, but it's the AC, ACE test where you're testing how many traumas you had in childhood. Basically, if you score on that test over one, you're more likely to form complex PTSD from the other traumas that you're going through. And I know for me, like, it's really funny because when I was married, it was in the 90s. Uh, and none of this information was available anywhere. I mean, maybe if I would have had a really fancy, cool therapist, but even PTSD was very late, fairly late to come onto the scene of like even being described and diagnosed. So when I was in my toxic marriage, I had, I mean, I think I just thought like he was kind of verbally abusive. He never really hit me. He threw a lamp at me and he hit me. Like that was like the week I left him. When, when it, like the moment it got physical, I was out really fast because I was aware that it was escalating and it was going to continue escalating. But you know, there's so many films on Netflix right now that give the example of they never hit me, but it was still extremely abusive. You're muted. <laughs> yeah, I muted it because she was hollering when I put her in a box. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing about that is that Whenever you're dealing with trauma, you're dealing with anchors and triggers. And you know that I talk a lot about the TV and stuff like that, because what I found is that people, and you mentioned mirror neurons earlier, people will learn to emulate toxic patterns in their life subconsciously and draw to them experiences that are very toxic. They will want, sorry, ladies, they will want that notebook style um, relationship so the subconscious is going about trying to emulate that. And it's also trying to emulate everything else they've witnessed in TV and movies and in their parents' relationships and their friends' parents' relationships and all kinds of things. So they're just um, doing on a subconscious level what is perceived to be safe, you know? And the other thing and- I realized, you might know if that there's a name for this, but the subconscious thing where we try to uh, complete old patterns that we started. Yeah. Yeah. We try to do that. And you know, we try to recreate it's crazy because when I got out of my toxic marriage, I ended up in a really great relationship and I wasn't really looking for a relationship. It's so funny because literally back then it was the days of AOL. We met on AOL and we ended up being in a relationship for three years. And 
I continue to go back to the dating app thing. And I like, literally when I learned that piece of information, I was like, oh my God, no wonder like me believing that that's the way that I should be meeting someone in order to try to fulfill that relationship that didn't come to fruition. I mean, it came to fruition. We fell in love and lived together, but you know, we didn't get married and end up together. And so I think in my mind, it's trying to recreate the steps I took to get to that one. Which is right. never going to work. And th- that's a very salient point. And I'm glad you brought that up because the number one thing that a lot of my clients don't understand is that the reason why they do certain things, why they reach for a candy bar at midnight or eat three peanut butter sandwiches when they want to lose 20 pounds is because the mind is looking for completion. It wants to complete that pattern. And if you can't bring it to a resolution um, in therapy or with a coach or someone like that, or if you don't learn the tools that you can test yourself for your programs and do it on your own, then you're going to continue to look for resolution in other people, other places and foods and all kinds of things like that. And what is there? There's an interesting phenomenon that's happening right now where it's all of these chemicals that are in the foods, things that we don't even think to look for, like calcium propionate, it's in all the bread now that the limbic system gets triggered and set, yep, and I just set off that too. Yeah, by all of these chemicals. And so we walk around not feeling safe. So what does the subconscious mind do? It starts playing all the programs associated with safety, even if they're evil, even if they're toxic, mm-hmm. even if they're, uh, they cause us to act in harmless ways that lead us to toxic relationships and situations and things like that. So I've been giving a uh, shameless plug here. I've been giving a monthly workshop since December on solutions for emotional stress. And I'm actually putting little snippets of the things that I talk about on my Instagram so that people can kind of read that. And, you know, it's not sugarcoated at all. I'm sorry if it. (laughs) Oh, no, I don't mind a shameless plug at all. Feel free to share your Instagram handle too. And obviously I'll um, share it in the show notes. Yeah, it's at Jahan Sator, J-E-H-A-N-S-A-T-T-A-U-R. But there's a lot going on. And basically that's where I'm going with this. There's a lot that's going on. that's making the nervous system uh, perceive threats in the everyday life. Yep. Uh, that's why I've, I've really been hitting out recently against caffeine because it's one of these things that's been normalized and we all love it. But when you take it away, then it makes a big difference in people's level of anxiety and things like that, you know? So it, it's yeah, like- it's fascinating because I know a lot of people don't want to hear it about their diet, right? Like they're like, screw you. I don't want to give up my cookies or my wine, that's the only thing that helps me relax. But if you're literally, I mean, it's like kicking yourself when you're already down, right? Like it's it's the same thing, like you're shooting yourself in both feet at the same time, like your nervous system is already going, please stop, I'm overstimulated and you're dumping sugar into it and you're dumping bread into it. And I mean, literally like, it's so funny because I go back and forth with, you know, whether or not I can eat right or not. And the minute I learned that in my, you know, in the PhD level course, I was like, it was immediately very, very simple to not eat any sugar at all. Like it was immediate. I didn't crave it. I didn't need it. Like as soon as I knew that I was contributing to the misery of my poor brain, (laughs) my, my poor traumatized, dysregulated brain, it made it so much easier to be consistent about doing everything right. 
And it's not that I'm never going to ever have sugar, but it's definitely easier to get to like a 90, 10 instead of like a, even an 80, 20 or a 50, 50, like a 90, 10 feels so much better in my body if I'm not doing that all the time and it's not a habit and I'm not craving it. I am so glad you said that. I need a copy of this from my Instagram. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll send you whatever you need. <laughs> because it's, and the question I, I would love to ask for people, and it may get a little controversial is, would it not be better for you to understand why your body has certain reactions rather than point the finger at other people when things happen? Other people are not going to change. You can change. So if you think of something right now that triggers you and just ask yourself an honest question, did I make the choice to be triggered? You're going to find that the answer is probably no. Right. The trigger is just a response to something that you feel in your body. And when you get that feeling, you're going to act in a way to deal with that trigger in the least amount of pain. So you're going to hide. You're going to run away. You're going to want to freeze up. You're going to want to blame. You might get angry. You want to fight somebody. You want to do whatever it is to try to make it so that you don't have to feel that trigger. Some people even go into shock. The you know When you experience a big traumatic thing like a rape or something, the medial prefrontal cortex deactivates to keep you safe. It's like going into a shell, a turtle in a shell, basically. Yeah, so, dissociation. Yeah, there's people that can't eat, all these kinds of things. So when you're in that triggered state, the body is using all of your energy to stay alive. That's why caffeine is a big deal and why it causes so much anxiety for people because it's borrowing energy from tomorrow. It causes the neurons of your brain to fire so rapidly that it produces ACTH, adrenocorticotrophic hormone, which is surging through your, your bloodstream and it's making, you, it's making your limbic system fire off all of these different programs. But, you know, when you're in survival mode, the body can't heal from anything like it really should. It can't digest anything the way that it should. You can hardly think, even if you think your thinking is normal, it's probably because you've been accustomed to thinking that way for some time from childhood all the way up to wherever you're at now. So that survival response just isn't helping you. And you need to figure out how to have a more appropriate response. And we were having a, a chat before this and, you know, we're bringing up situations where it's not always going to be a perfect situation, you know? So you might be able to allay your traumatic response and, and give an appropriate response. And then you learn to deal with it in an outside of the context in which it happened. But you can make, you can learn to make yourself feel safe because all you need to deal with trauma, and I'm sorry if it sounds too simplistic for people, but all you actually need is to learn an empowering response that allows you to think clearly in the middle of that original response and talk yourself down so that you can resolve that mental and emotional aspect of it at either in the present or at some time in the very near future so that you can communicate with other people. You know, you can get to a safe place and actually deal with it. And then the likelihood of being triggered in that same way, it actually decreases, you know. And you mentioned to me and did an emotion code session and things like that. I use modalities that are similar to that um, to deal with things where it's muscle testing and you can get the programs out and things like that. And you know, a lot of people actually have the, have the programs of rejection, resentment, and regret. So if somebody's been rejected, it can influence a person for their entire life. It'll stop them from being successful in business or relationships. It'll stop them from even being able to find true love. 
Fear of rejection causes people to fail before they even get started. It causes self-sabotage, you know? So when you clear that fear of rejection, it allows you to deal with your everyday triggers around that in a much more calm way. I mean, I can confidently say that I've done the processes so many times that I don't even worry about anybody liking me or rejecting me. I just shrug my shoulders and move on. And you can get to that point after a while of working with it, you know? Well, and that goes back to like the neurons that fire together, wire together. While yes, it can make us more dysregulated and more traumatized, the um, post-traumatic, let's see, what's the the opposite of post-traumatic stress? Post-traumatic recovery, right? Of the post-traumatic strength of where you're getting stronger from the trauma. You know, that's, that's the great thing is that if you're willing to do the work, Every time you get backed into the wall, you know, backed into the corner, every time it happens, because it's not going to stop happening. As long as you're existing in the world and dealing with humans, things are going to happen that you don't like. (laughs) That's just the reality of being a person, right? Like, you know, we don't even like half of each other. Like, why should we expect everything to be cake and rainbows every day? But like, at least if you can notice when you're just being an ass in your own head of like, oh, I'm just totally overreacting right now. Just being able to tell yourself the words of what's happening pulls you out of the limbic response, which is fascinating Uh to me of that, like, just saying it, I'm reacting right now. And then my brain goes, oh, yeah, Yeah. you're reacting right now. And I love that because that particular technique is so simple. Everybody can do it. And the main thing that I tell people is that the subconscious mind is doing 95% of the work for you every day. If it wasn't, you'd be in a lot of trouble. Like you'd be having a series of mini strokes because it's so much information. It's 11 trillion pieces of information that your mind is doing. So when you can describe that experience, you can downregulate and you actually learn how to do it in a succinct, clear way that the subconscious mind actually loves that. It goes, he's listening to me. You know, and so you get more little bits and pieces of things that come up just in your everyday awareness. That's why mindfulness and just taking five minutes to breathe is so powerful because the subconscious is always talking to you. It's always trying to tell you what your programs are. The more you can make time for yourself in the morning or or nighttime to listen to that response, your, your limbic system communicates to you through the subconscious, you know, and it's just a perception database. That's all the subconscious mind can be chalked up to be at times yes it does other things too but it's a perception database so if you manage your perceptions you can manage your triggers and a lot of people are filtering things through these uh i guess you want to call them cognitive distortions or whatever which are just mental filters that we pass all the information through i'm not good enough i don't feel safe somehow um you know i don't understand what it feels like to live without being rejected. Those are all programs. Essentially, we all have them. We all have to unlearn them. It's our responsibility to do that. If you resent somebody, like you have a program that says, I resent my mother, then you might find that you stop sabotaging in certain ways because you actually hold on to grudges because they keep you safe. If you're walking around grudging other people, you're really grudging yourself at a subconscious level, you know? And it's to keep us safe from people who are going to hurt us so that we don't get hurt again. And, um, you know, every person that you come across in your life serves you in some ways that not being new agey, 
is just purely psychological. Every person in your life serves you in some way. If there's a person that gives you a tough time and maybe you, they present resistance in your life, consider that maybe resistance is how you're motivated to change. Well, and honestly, resistance is how most of us are motivated to change. 